So let me ask you, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a green smoothie. It was not good. It had celery, spinach, almond milk, and that's it. Is it called a green smoothie just because everything's green? Maybe. I That's what I call it. I don't know if it's oh. actually supposed to be. Yeah. I know I feel better when I drink it. And I also know it tastes like exactly what it sounds like. Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit through conversations with extraordinary people. We are here to learn the skills we can use to intentionally create the life we want to live. Within these conversations lie all sorts of lessons learned, epiphany moments, and techniques to navigate the messiness of life, as shared with us by the people living through it. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today I'm joined by Mari Luangrath Ulrich. She's a mother, wife, daughter, founder of Foiled Cupcakes. Gosh, that was like 12 years ago you started that online personal cupcake delivery service in Chicago. And I know you said it was the only. Are you still the only? Well, now, uh, like Uber Eats and, you know, oh, Grubhub. They don't, they don't They all deliver, but... <laughs> Yeah. They're 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 not uh they're not generating the cupcakes from their bakery. And then more recently you're the founder of Blend Rebels, a community seeking to help a million people create their best possible blended families, which I think is so necessary and needed in today's world, which is why I'm so excited to chat with you about that. Um so I mentioned twelve years ago and <laughs> we were just talking about how long we've known each other. So we've known each other like for at least a decade or more, um meeting back when the technology scene was growing in Chicago. Social media was growing in Chicago and we all hung out in person <laughs> pre-COVID. Remember when we hung out in person? <laughs> oh, my friend calls those the before times. I call it BC before COVID, but yeah, <laughs> it's like a really long time ago. <laughs> it does. So I remember, um, I don't remember when, but I remember at some point when I learned that you had gotten divorced, like I knew you as Mari Luangrath. And then mm-hmm. I don't know, it's, I don't know if it was a social media post or through a friend or somehow one day I was like, oh, Mari got divorced. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know like that was, you know, something that was happening in her life. And oh my gosh. And then like, I, you know, through knowing you and through our beautiful world of social media we all live in, like you met somebody else and he had kids and, you know, what you call, and I love the term blended family. I wasn't familiar with that. And so now, you know, you have a blended family. And I I remember just throughout this whole thing and then separately, like my ex and I were deciding, like, are we going to get divorced? And we decided to get divorced. And then we have two children. That was, you know, much later in your story, which is why... <laughs> You have just been this like inspiration to me throughout this process um, oh. before. Yeah, I I want to thank you, first of all, for being that inspiration, which I know you didn't necessarily set out to do. So I'm like, yeah, that that whole <laughs> that whole notion makes me go like, oh, that's so nice. And it makes me super uncomfortable. But yeah, I'm like Tim, putting pressure. On, yeah. Above anything else, we're friends, you know. So, yeah. Well, go it, ahead. yeah, it was I remember. The, the big deal for me was, as I was thinking about this, 
I didn't know anyone who had ever been divorced or had ever gone through the process, had ever come out the other side, like, you know, better and all that. Not to say these people don't exist. I mean, here you are. I just never knew anyone. So when I first saw you, you know, kind of met you and then your story and how it related to mine later, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, like Mari is this dynamic, amazing person. She went through it all and came out the other side. And I just remember you were like the first story that I was aware of. And then I think I started to like look into it more and I I found others. And I'm wondering for you, like, so now myself having gone through kind of like divorce and then figuring out what building a new life afterward looks like, Mm -hmm. when in your story did you realize there were others going through similar situations? Like you weren't alone. Well, so it's interesting that you said, oh, as soon as I started looking for these people, then I was like, oh, they're, you know, you obviously know that divorce is pretty prevalent in our society. You know, we know statistically that most people, um, you know, when you get married, there's like a 50% chance of divorce. That's what you hear. And so I'm sure you're like cognitively aware that around you, there are people who have been through this, but like you said, until you start looking for it and and until you kind of start digging around and trying to find people like you who have been through your situation, um, it's not until you start looking that you just go, oh, I'm not alone. Um, so it, I guess, you know, what, what I immediately thought of was, you know, when I was married in my previous marriage, I was uh, pregnant and miscarried a few times. And it's a similar club, like it's a club you don't want to be in. But until you are in it, then, then you start realizing how many people are in that same club with you, so to speak. Um, So I think that for me, what was really powerful was just being open and sharing my experience, because then that helped lend itself to just more conversations. I think weirdly, you know, even though 50% of people statistically who get married will get divorced, nobody really talks about it. Nobody really talks about the struggles and the difficulties and the loneliness that you might feel when you're going through something like this. Um, So... Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if that really answers your question, but <laughs> oh, it does. I think that's that 50 percent stat, I think, is something we're all familiar with. And I don't know like what the exact number is, but that's what I've always heard. And mm-hmm. what you just pointed out is very, I guess, unfortunate. Like if half of people generally get divorced and we don't talk about that. Like that's a sizable portion. That's literally half of the, all of them. And we're mm-hmm. not talking about that. You never hear it talked about. You never hear it, not celebrated, but you don't hear any anything dedicated to it. Like no resources. Or, I mean, I guess that's what you're working on. But that's so unfortunate. Why do you think that is? Like I, I've wondered this, especially as I've started to become really comfortable with this idea of like redefining family and you know, with my kids and and everything. And even around like my own family, I just think to myself, and they've been super supportive and they're all on board, but I just still feel like I'm the outsider. Like this Uh is, I'm in the 50% that like, we wouldn't be talking about if we didn't have to be. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly it. There's like this failure component and this shame. And in our society, failure and shame are two things that we just don't want to deal with. You know, if we could 
like if we had a choice, we would rather choose to talk about things that bring us, you know, joy, like kittens on like, you know, cats on Instagram, for example, that is much easier to talk about than like the gritty stuff of, you know, oh, I had uh, differences with my partner. And now we decided that we're mutually going to, you know, live separate lives. Like that is, uh, for whatever reason, people see that um, and associate failure um, and failure is associated with shame. So I just think the more that we're able to talk about it, the more that we can normalize what's going on and start building some support around it. Um, you know, divorce groups definitely exist. Uh, parents of uh, pa- divorce parent groups also exist. Um and I think that they try to serve a really good, good purpose of helping people get through these difficult times. Um, so hopefully you were able to find some resources in those groups. Um, I'm not sure it, now in the now COVID times, I know that a lot of these groups used to meet in person. And so now I'm sure it's more difficult to find those people, but I know that they're out there. Yeah. What's, so with blended rebels, like I'm thinking about like communities and groups here is, is your goal. Cause I I'm on your email list and it sounds like you're, it's more than just a traditional community of people like helping each other. Like there's that aspect, but it sounds like you have actual, not instructions. Now, it's not like you have built an instruction manual, but like kind of, of like how to maybe successfully approach this redefinition of family. Yeah. So, um, so as you know, I have very little uh, formal expertise in this space. So my expertise comes from experience. It comes from having a lot of conversations with therapists, financial planners, divorce attorneys, and basically collaborating with all of these different experts to create um, a, kind of a best practice guide. But the ironic thing is that there are so many different types of blended families that could potentially, you know, develop in any sort of relationship split and reconfiguration. So, you know, anywhere from, you know, one partner has kids, the other one doesn't. Um, both partners have kids is another configuration that might happen. There are same sex uh, couples who then re, you know, repartner up and then there's a different dynamic in those same sex couples. Um, there are adult children who are dealing with their parents who are getting divorced and getting remarried. And all of a sudden, as an adult, you have all these new siblings. It's just there are so many different configurations. And so what I um, have realized over talking with all of these experts over the course of the last like six, six, seven years is that there is no shortage of content, but there is um there are some best practices that exist and using these best practices is almost milestones as you start creating your family. Um, you know, whether you are just fresh on the market and you're dating somebody new and you're like, when do I meet? When, when do I introduce my kids to this person? Is it appropriate for me to introduce, you know, this person that I'm dating to my children? And it may be a different answer if they are, zero to two years old versus if they are 15 to 18 years old. I mean, there's a different dynamic in every different situation. And I think that's why um, a lot of the stuff that's out there, which first of all is very dated, 
um, and second of all, is very boring to read um, about how to blend your family successfully. Um, I think the the frustrating thing is that all that stuff just is super dry and it's one size fits all. And the reality is that there is like no one size fits all solution, but there are some structures that have been, you know, explored and tested and found to be, you know, healthy and uh, both cognitively and emotionally for the social emotional sake of the children beneficial. So I'm putting something together through Blend Rebels that allows people to access that in a way that's very digestible and not overwhelming and also not super dry, like you're not sitting through like a marriage and family therapy course at university. Um, so that's the that's the vision and that's the goal. That's fantastic. That also doesn't sound like a simple feat. Like, I'm, yeah, that's a little, that's going to be overwhelming for you to tackle. Although I suppose if you're very good at breaking things down into small pieces that I'm just thinking about, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's a, that's a tall mountain. Yeah. It, it, um, you know, it's interesting because like I said, I've been researching a lot of this stuff over the past over six, I mean, it's been almost eight years since I've started like really exploring a lot of this stuff. Um, and so the content, like I said, it's not hard to come by. It's just organizing it and making yeah. it digestible. That is, you know, and everybody has to, you know, take things on at their own pace. And so, you know, maybe it's going to be different for you than uh, the person that you're dating, or maybe it'll be different for um, you and your ex, right? Because there are so many different dynamics in this family system, Um so it it's just uh, hopefully a guide to help make things a little bit less stressful. Um, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, there have been aspects of this where I have felt very stressed out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's been smooth sailing <laughs> for you, but for me, there have been points where I'm just like, oh, this is so stressful. So and and generally what happens is whenever I get stressed out, I take it out on the kids so the goal is to, you know, create um, space so that you can have compassion for yourself and all the stress that you're going through and also continue to build a healthy relationship with your children and any other children that may come into your life as a result. I think any of those situations like that you were thrown into for the first time and have not been, a, have not had the experience of the situation before, I think ends up being stressful. I mean... I think about, uh, you know, we both have kids. Um, when I was first became a parent, like I didn't have any, like my ex was very, uh, she had babysat a lot and she had cousins and stuff. So she was like naturally an amazing mother and like great with kids. And like, I think I've become a great father, but like going into it, I didn't have any experience. So like, it was mm -hmm. just, you know, Stressful, yeah, but it was also just like, I guess it was stressful mentally, physically, but just more the stress from like the f unfamiliarity with it. Um, mm -hmm. What about for you? What was what was like becoming a parent like? Was it, did it feel natural or was it just a complete like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely the latter. <laughs> I, I was more on Team Tim on this one. Yeah, <laughs> I... <laughs> I am an only child and uh, I didn't grow up with cousins nearby and I did babysit, you know, but 
I mean, honestly, all of my experience in learning about kids came through reading the Babysitter's Club. You know, that book series. I do. So, I think it just got a new, uh, it came back on Netflix, I believe. Yeah. Wow. I'm surprised that you know that. It did come back on Netflix. <laughs> there is a comic series now and um, I still have some of the originals, but I read those books and that was like, oh yeah, this is how you interact with kids. And you know, that's all I had. And so when my son Colin was born, <laughs> I was like, cool. Like, what do I do with you now? I'm not totally sure. You know, it wasn't until he was like probably four or five that I was like, oh, okay, I got a handle on this. It took five years easily. I totally believe that. I still, so Noah, my oldest just turned 10, um, what, two months ago or something. And I still remember when he was first born, those first couple months, sometime within the first year, I would be sitting on the couch feeding him in the middle of the night. And I remember he would be crying like, cause he was hungry. Mm -hmm. And I remember it, it feels weird to like be saying this out loud. I remember being so angry and mm -hmm. like, I was like feeding him. I'm like, I didn't know what to do. And I was just like, I think, I don't know if it was the act of him crying or my unfamiliar with it, but I remember anger, feeling anger. And I look back at it now and I, I'm sort of laughing because like, the, it just seems so outrageous and silly that I would ever feel mm -hmm. that way. Cause this little man now is like my, the coolest person ever. Mm -hmm. And I just think like, what in the world was I angry about? Like how I, I it's just, but to your point, like. I, just that unfamiliarity. Like maybe that was the stress right there coming out. Yeah. And feeling out of control. And here is this little infant that was crying and you couldn't control that. Like I remember when Colin was born, I had like a whole, like probably a month before he was born, I put together a schedule of what it would look like when he was born, you know, at like oh, okay. eight o'clock we would wake up and at eight 30 we would eat and at whatever. And I'm just like, you know, Obviously, that was very delusional. And um, I think I experienced similar things of just being like so frustrated. Like, why are you not following my plan? I'm really frustrated that I cannot compel you to doing what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Child, stop crying. You are not scheduled to cry right now. That must yeah. have been very jarring if you had it to the point where you're like, here's the schedule I expect we will be keeping. <laughs> and then, I mean, I imagine that was just completely thrown out the window. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, I feel your, your, uh, your nighttime feeding frustration. I feel that. Yeah. I'll never forget that. It's just, you know, hindsight's 2020, 20, I guess, but, and I was never that way with my daughter. She's four years after him. So maybe it was just an experience thing at that point. It was like, oh, this is, I've been here before. I've seen this movie. Yeah. Familiarity. Yeah. I really think that's what it was. So when we first met, it's because you had started Foiled Cupcakes. So the online cupcake delivery service, you were uh -huh. all over the social media spreading the word. Um, and I remember... It was, <laughs> I remember your cupcakes. They're great cupcakes. You had those little quips and everything. But like, I've read a little bit about, and I've heard from you and, and from friends and stuff. I mean, like you were like all in for those first couple of years as any entrepreneur is, but like you also had a family and stuff. So I'm very curious, like those first couple of years of building foiled, like, did that have an effect on your marriage at the time on your, on your like, 
we, here's what I'm thinking. We all have only so much mental capacity. This is something I've mm-hmm. learned, and I'm very much a, a believer. I imagine foil that at that time was taking up most of your mental capacity. So, like, it must have been really hard to make, you know, to somehow fit in the rest of your life in there. Um, that's a long way of just saying, what was the effect of that, like, on your life and your marriage? That must have been just really hard, I imagine. Yeah, it was um, incredibly stressful. If I am honest um, and objective, I think I look back at that time and the marriage itself was probably already on its way out. Um, and creating Foiled was kind of my my launching pad to creating something. It was kind of my runway to creating something for myself. Um, Colin, my son at the time when I started Foiled was like just starting preschool. And so that was what opened the door for me to have like a little bit of time to do something besides, you know, be a full-time mom. And then I had this window of time where he was in preschool to build something. And here I thought it was going to be this little, you know, tiny little thing that I did on the side while he was in preschool. And, um, as you know, it took off for, you know, better or for worse. It was definitely thanks to the social media, um, wave of that time. So just for anybody listening, we all remember when Twitter was not the cesspool of awful humanity that it is now, but 10, 12 years ago, Twitter was actually a really awesome place. I mean, obviously you and I met there, we met a lot of different, really awesome people. I think we're both friends with most of the people from those original days of Twitter, which was such a great avenue to meet new people um, digitally. And uh, so I did not expect the cupcakes to take on a kind of a life of their own. I'm grateful that it did. Um, And I do remember I was commuting between Naperville and the city, like sometimes two, three times a day to accommodate getting my son from school and dropping him off at the daycare or coordinating with, you know, his dad or what have you. Um, There were just so many different aspects of that time that feel like a blur. And I think, um, and, and this probably also contributed to my desire to create Blend Rebels is because I was scrambling so hard to avoid like whatever the reality was that the marriage was, you know, basically up against. And in order to avoid that, um, I created a lot of distractions and it wasn't healthy and it didn't end up, you know, being anything productive for the marriage. Um, So it, it was a lot, but I feel very fortunate that by the time that I got divorced, Foiled was um, creating enough revenue for me to support myself and my son and employees. And, you know, obviously I'm grateful to the community for their support of our, our small business. So it all worked out, but it was very hectic. You're right. That's an amazing outcome, though. To I mean, at that point, the support. That, that must have felt so amazing to, to support yourself and your son and, and the employees of the company from an idea that, you know, years ago, I mean, years before that was just an idea. Like you created yeah. something out of nothing. 
Yeah, it, it was it was empowering and also um, incredibly burdensome. If you know, it's it's there's a fine line between like empowerment and then feeling like responsible for a lot of different things. So um, it, it teetered along that line quite a bit in those like early 2010 years, for sure. Teetered like in the sense of where you were like, you know what, maybe this is too much. Like maybe I maybe I um, went too far with it, with the idea. Too successful? No, 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 not like too successful, but just like, oh man, here's another like 20 things to do on my to-do list. Oh man, I wish I could just take a break. I can't, got to keep going, got to work until, you know, like three, four in the morning. Okay, Colin's up now. I got to get him to school. Okay, when am I going to sleep? I don't know. Just, um, I just felt like I was reacting to a lot of different needs and it was great and exhausting. I can't imagine. I mean, having a kid in those young years is exhausting anyway, but to add that on top of it, <laughs> I don't know when you slept. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fortunately, I was like 28, so <laughs> I didn't need as much sleep <laughs> as I do now. <laughs> I don't know about you, Tim, but like during this COVID thing, I'm like, I get the most amount of sleep I've ever had. And I'm still just so exhausted. So <laughs> that's so interesting. I've been, I've been getting decent sleeps, but I've been having really weird, like dreams and nightmares and stuff like, oh, yeah. throughout this. Like, I don't know if that's been common. I haven't asked around too I've much. I've heard a lot of people saying the same. Like there have been um, like articles about this. You should just look really? it up. Yeah. Weird COVID dreams. Lots of people talking about it. Yeah, both Mm -hmm. the actual dreams and then it's been better recently, but like back near the beginning of the pandemic and then like maybe through the summer, there would be times where I'd wake up in the morning and like I thought this whole thing was a dream and then I would, you you snap to reality and then I would think, oh my God, no, this is still happening. And it was sort of like a letdown in the morning. It's just, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we we between like the five of us, we have like many therapists who have helped us through the COVID season. It's been a lot. It's very real. Yeah. Yeah. You you mentioned earlier that. Um, well, OK, so here's what I'm thinking. I remember like so I got married very young. We had kids very young. And so like upon reflection, I think through a lot of the developmental parts of my life, I never like kind of figured out who I was or what I liked or all the simple things that most people do in their young years, you know, probably twenties. Um, and so once, you know, I started kind of building this new life and, you know, this past year and a half, two years, one of the things that surfaced was like, there's now time and capacity to start understanding like, who is Tim when he's not mm-hmm. a father or no longer a husband, you know, a partner. And he's just, Tim, Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like with foil cupcakes, like that was so, it seems to me like that was like the seeds of you starting that process of like, this is, I'm starting to like branch out into like what, who else is Mari other than, you know, the wife and the the mother, um, was that the case? And, And did you, how did you continue that process? Uh, so I, I do believe that was the case. First of all, um, congratulations to you for like doing all of that self-reflection. Cause that's like, you know, a lot of people go through life and they never do that 
work of trying to self-discover. They just sort of, a lot of people just sort of fold into whatever their families have taught them or, you know, religion or other traditions have taught them that they need to be. And so to pause and just be like, wait a second, let me evaluate all this and make sure it's actually something that I believe in or something that I value is like really good and difficult work. So good for you. Um, yeah, I, I think that for me, um, something that I knew, so, you know, we talked about how, was it intrinsically, you know, easy for us to be parents and both of us are like, yeah, no. Um, but something that was very intrinsically, you know, part of me was starting businesses. And I, I don't know, I think I was like six years old when I started my first business. And there was just this desire to um, create. I, I just like creating something and seeing what sticks. So um, and I had done that throughout my life. Um and taken a break to be a full-time mom. And I think just juxtaposing that with, I don't know how to be a mom. I'm much more comfortable in the space of creating a business. Um, it probably was just like this magnetic pull back into creating something. Um, you know, you, you know, I'm not a baker. I don't know anything about baking. Um, <laughs> but you know, my friend said, start this cupcake business cause they were on SNL and sex in the city and cupcakes are hot right now. And I said, okay, you know, I don't know anybody in Chicago. Maybe this will help me make some friends. Everybody likes cupcakes. Okay. So, um, it, it really was kind of a good launching point to get back into creating and entrepreneurship. But what I did not expect and what I am profoundly grateful for is the community that I was able to kind of tap into in those late 2000s. Um, and it even stretched further just because of social media and the reach. And so I do feel like that was kind of like the the perfect alignment of all the stars and I was able to capitalize on it. So I feel very fortunate in that regard. That's such a great feeling, at least in my experience to, I think I'm, we're similar in the sense of like being creators and like just having that innate feeling of wanting to create. And then once you start to create, like it fulfills you. Um, yeah. That's this podcast is very much a result of that. Like when I, I started to feel, you know, a year ago like that, not that whole, but like that little burning desire of like, I need to kind of exercise this muscle that I haven't exercised in a while. So I, yeah, I, I can very much relate to that. That's awesome. I, and it takes a lot of courage and like nine, I, I've just noticed this, like 95% of people don't, they, they have the ideas and they don't execute on them for one reason or another. And that's fine. So, um, it takes courage to put your stuff out there and it takes a lot of vulnerability to be like, here's my podcast, you know, and just let it sit there. That takes a lot of courage. So yeah, good for you. Yeah. It can definitely be nerve wracking, <laughs> but that's part of the fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, to your point, if we as creators don't have that, um, outlet to create, um, it can be very personally stifling and it can actually like be very draining to our like internal, you know, just to our fulfillment and our happiness. So yeah, I feel you on that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I re- I remember it was the weekend after it might have been when I my wife and I my ex wife and I had started a healing separation to like try out the divorce and then we ended up going through with it. Mm-hmm. But like during that time we were like switching off. Um every someone would always be with the kids and then the other person would like go stay somewhere else. And I remember the very first weekend I stayed away was I think my brother was out of town and he let me stay in his place. And that weekend, I just didn't know what to do. Like it was, I'll never forget my therapist and I talk about this all the time, like about how far I've come. Cause I'll never forget. I was so in my head, so freaked out. I was like panicking. I didn't know what to do with a Sunday. I was like freaking out. I like was just going crazy cause I didn't know what to do at the time. And like, obviously nowadays I, it's it's amazing. Like I have time and I live my life in that time. I'm curious yeah. for you. Um, like that first Thanksgiving after your divorce, what what did that feel like? Like, did you get that same sense of like, where, oh, where am I? Yeah, that was, uh, it's, did you know about my first Thanksgiving? Have we talked about this? No, I, I think I, when I was researching, I might've been a conversation with someone else I was reading and I okay. kind of piqued my interest. Yeah. So Thanksgiving, so we got divorced in October. It was finalized. And so then November was the um, first Thanksgiving. And it was, you know, an odd year. So it was my ex's year to have him have our son for Thanksgiving. I remember just being like, I did not prepare for this. Like I looked around and I'm like, I did not prepare for being alone at home on a holiday when everybody yeah. else is with their family. And then it was like Thanksgiving morning. And I was like, Oh no, what do I do? So, um, I did feel incredibly overwhelmed, but like, you know, logically, you know, okay, this is good. Like it's going to be painful. It's lonely. Like for me, You know, something that I work on regularly with my therapist is just the fear of abandonment and being alone, um, working through the trauma from that in my childhood. And just, you know, the best thing you can do is just not avoid it. So um, what what I ended up doing that Thanksgiving was not calling a bunch of people and having them come over and rescue me. It was just being alone and like filling time and it was painful. So I, I, yeah, that first, I'm sure that first weekend when you were like, what do I do? You know, you're like yeah. looking at the clock going, I can't rake my leaves. I can't, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not at my house. I, I don't have kids. What, what do I eat? Like you almost feel like you're an alternate version of yourself. So yeah, that's a, that's a tough, that first that first time being in that space where you have to just sit and be with yourself is tough. I love how you phrase that. You feel like you're an alternate version of yourself. Cause I think that's exactly how I felt. And I went through a similar thing. You said Thanksgiving and being alone. Everyone else is with family. I wasn't alone, but um, like the way our holidays work out is like Christmas Eve, the kids will be with me and my family and then Christmas day with my ex and her family. Mm-hmm. And so Christmas day, my family's tradition is go over to grandma's. And like nowadays it's basically my mom, my dad, and then grandma mm-hmm. and maybe an uncle. And so I don't know, was it two years ago at this point when I did it for the first time, like Christmas day, all of a sudden I'm with mom, dad, and grandma and grandma's little condo. 
And again, I'm with family, but you know, like you said, I can, I can relate to that feeling of like, I'm not in my normal environment here. I'm not with the people I was going to be with, you know, I'm in my case, I wasn't truly alone, but you know, alone in a sense of like, this is new. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was just such a weird, like, I guess what I'm saying is you said you had, you'd never prepared for that. And gosh, how could you have, but that's how I felt too. Like, I remember thinking like, I knew my Christmas plans, this is what it was going to be. And then getting there that day, I just, all of a sudden I could feel in my stomach, like this is, oh, I didn't see this coming. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the anxiety that you probably would have thought about. It just suddenly slams and you're like, wow, like it just sort of like, you know, pushes you back and you're like, okay, just take deep breaths and like try to figure out. I remember I reached out to, um, do you know, Jeff Alexander? He used to, did he own a wild bow or he worked? Yeah. He's the president of wild bow. Okay. So, um, he has been a very good friend to me throughout all these years as well. And I think he might've said to me like a couple of months ahead of time, like just mentally prepare for the holidays because it's going to be tough. You know, and and then sure enough, I had pushed it to the side and then Thanksgiving came around and I remember texting him and being like, you are right. This is tough. And he texted back and he was like, Lori, we'll set another place at the table for you if you want to come over. You're welcome at our house for Thanksgiving. And I remember being like, that was the soothing uh, response that I needed. Like I didn't I didn't end up going over there, but just knowing that like. I wasn't a total outcast and by myself at home alone um, with, you know, just feelings of just like not being wanted. And, you know, even though it was my decision to get divorced and (laughs) whatever, but, um, but yeah, that was so, that was so significant to me. So I, I definitely appreciate the Alexanders for their willingness to put that place setting at the table for me. So I hope to be that person to somebody else in the future. That was just incredible. Oh, what a nice thing to do. That's amazing. Yeah. And like you said, just that's how you you feel like. I especially I don't know how you grew up with like the holidays, but like it was always, you know, for especially Christmas, for example, we had Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, like different parts of the family. We go to different grandmas and stuff. So it was a very family and tradition packed two days. Um and so, like, that's what I associate it with. So, like, you know, having it slightly different now, and it just always, as as, as I began that process, felt very out of place. Like, like you said, it just didn't feel right. It felt like something was off. And, and I feel like it's it's better now. But um, that's, you know, amazing that you had, that he was able to sort of lend a hand there. And at least if you wanted to come over you could that maybe you felt a little more sense of normalcy that's the hard part is it's like this is again like the 50 percent no one talks about here is like oh this isn't the norm like you're outside mm-hmm. the norm here um mm-hmm. which i think is i'm so interested in like how do we because i truly believe that's not the case like there's so many well i mean the, the answer is in the stats if half people are divorced and there's half of situations here that are quote-unquote non-traditional so mm-hmm. like there's just as many non-traditional as there are traditional. How do we reframe this narrative? That's what I'm getting at. How do we? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, and another interesting stat that blew my mind was that 
in the United States alone, and um, just as a sidebar, the most westernized countries, Western countries, so, you know, Western Europe and Canada and um, Australia tend to be at the top of the pack when it comes to divorce rate. And um, so in the U.S. alone, there are 1,300 new blended families being formed every single day, whether that's through, you know, people meeting, people breaking up, um, you know, marriages, non-traditional, you know, groupings of people, uh, 1,300 new blended families. So that doesn't even, that's like assuming that there are, you know, there's one child per household. That's still um, a really high number of kids in the next generation that have to deal with the mayhem of having their parents divorce and, you know, get into new relationships. Um, and it would be great. I, I suspect that the next generation of kids is going to somehow, you know, figure out how to have these conversations and bond over the fact that they were divorced kids. I mean, you know, I know some friends of mine who, whose parents were divorced um, but certainly not as many as our generation. And I just think the next generation will will find a way to come together to support each other as blended kids, divorced kids. That's my prediction. I hope so. I, I think you're right. I think that's probably what, it, and I, I really do hope that is the case because I think I knew some divorced or kids with divorced parents growing up. I'm trying to think of any off the top of my head, but I know it was probably few and, it was definitely not, it wasn't like it was talked about badly. It just wasn't like talked about, like it wasn't mm-hmm. surfaced in that way. So I really hope. Well, and it certainly, yeah, it certainly wasn't accommodated when I was a kid. Like, um, you know, as an example, one of my friends growing up, her parents were divorced and um, like on the school form, you know, like mom and dad. And then. Yeah. There's no space for anybody else on that school form, even though she had a stepmom and a stepdad, or that's what she called him, stepmom, stepdad. Other people call them different things, you know, bonus mom, bonus dad, whatever your label is. But they were also emergency contacts, and there was no space on the form for them. So just in little ways like that, um, you know, we've come a long way. Now there are additional spots on those school forms, but... um, but yeah, back then it was just like, you know, your mom or your dad could pick you up the end. Yeah. I think that's so much of what I'm thinking about too, is like the narrative involves all these like parts of the system that are in place. Like a school form is a great example. Like it's probably been used for the past decade, at least it hasn't been changed. Mm-hmm. And like that simple mom, dad, and no other options. Just like if you don't fit that mold, then it feels odd. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday was it yesterday the kids and i were driving back we're on the expressway and there's one of those orange diamond signs construction signs on the side Mm -hmm. of the road and it said men working (laughs) and my my son reads it goes men working and i'm like yeah isn't that weird like it says men working like that seems so outdated Uh and he was like yeah i was gonna say something i was like yeah i was too and like that feels the same way to me like that sign's probably been around for like 50 years and it's just like at this, no, we're not going to change it. But it just, to me, I was like screaming in my head, like this is, so, I mean, my daughter's in the car. She's not reading fully yet, luckily. So she didn't see it. But like, I was just thinking to myself, like, 
how is this possible that it's 2020 and there's a sign on the side of the road that says men working <laughs> in a construction zone? Like this so right. similar thing, like you found a school form that's still, you know, it's a mom and dad and those are the only options. Like, what if you have a mom and a mom? Like even then right. it's like, sorry, that was more of a rant than anything. <laughs> no. And, and it's, it's, it's just this whole notion of just inclusion. Like I think, you know, yeah. you and I have both felt like, oh, we're on the outside when the reality, like you keep saying, is we're not on the outside. We are probably more of the norm than, you know, these people having these traditional family gatherings. And yet somehow, because we aren't talking about how to make these spaces inclusive. I mean, look, there are other priorities. I get that racially, um, you know, as far as like, you know, your sexual uh orientation, as far as your gender identity, like there are certainly other priorities that take place for inclusivity. I get that. But also thinking about how Jeff simply saying, I see you, you are welcome. We have a spot for you if you want it, just how powerful that is, you know? So, um, so yeah, I just, I think uh, it it starts with little things like changing our forms or changing our men working signs. Like, it's not hard to take the M-E-N off and just say workers, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Or like, universally, we all understand what an orange diamond looks like and what it means. So... (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Why do we even need a sign that says there's people work? I don't know. It's... Yeah, it's a weird thing. (laughs) Yeah. I did not know that you started playing violin at like two years old. And you went to college on a music scholarship. Now, I don't know if those are connected, but what I see here is a violin prodigy who went to college then on a music scholarship, but you didn't end up pursuing music. So I'm just really curious, like, why didn't you end up going the professional musician route, assuming that's kind of the way you were headed? Uh, So I think that was a dream that my mom had for me. Mm. Um, And I did start playing the violin when I was two. So I didn't really have a good sense of myself at that point in my, you know, personal development at age two. Um, Age two, like having, uh, you know, you have a a son who's older now, so you've had a two-year-old. I've had two two two-year-olds. How in the world, I can't comprehend this. How did you play violin at two years old? I mean, I don't even know. I I don't remember. (laughs) So I I know that I started with like a granola box. And a ruler sticking out of it and probably learned how to stand and hold the violin and the bow and where to place my feet for probably a good several months. Um, I don't think that I got a violin. I don't remember getting my first violin. I was too young. Um, But, yeah, I think it's fair to say that at age two, I didn't have a fully developed sense of self. So I, I wasn't able to really, you know, advocate for what I was hoping to accomplish in my life. Um, so yeah, I started very young and I started on the Suzuki curriculum. And so that is designed to start, you know, two, three, four years old. And then you work your way through the curriculum. And then by the time you're done, you know, you advance on to more difficult pieces and, Yeah, I went to college with a music scholarship and decided that it was definitely not what I wanted to do. I think by the time I was 18, I was like, I'm I so I don't think I'm very good at the violin. I think I'm good 
because I put in a lot of time practicing in all those years, but I don't have a natural talent for it. You know how some people are like, Mm-hmm. just naturally gifted. And I, it just felt like this uphill battle that I just kept fighting and it just was not, uh, it, it just wasn't easy for me. So I think at that point, then I decided that I wanted to just graduate college as quickly as I could. And so I found a major that was as watered down as possible, which I actually ended up really enjoying. Um, I ended up studying international relations and global economics and ended up doing a study abroad um, and an internship in Europe for a couple of years. So that was great. Um, Yeah, so then I finished and then I was primed to do entrepreneurship because what do you do with a degree in international relations? (laughs) (laughs) You start a business, yeah. (laughs) That that seems about right. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, at least I didn't study entrepreneurship and then I pursued entrepreneurship, right? I don't know. I just feel like a lot of those entrepreneurship degrees, like, you know, really the best, the best learning experience is starting your own business. It's not learning and reading books about other people starting their own businesses. Yeah. Or at least it's them coupled together. I I would hope that the degree is not just reading these books books and then like four years later you go out and start a business like i would hope it's trial by fire to some degree i've never actually researched these programs but it it does seem a little hard so so no more violin any or i mean do you play the violin anymore like even recreationally or just has it have you closed that chapter of your life yeah i mean i'll i'll bring it out and i'll play something to see if i can still play it but um, the joy of playing it is not there for me at all. Like a lot of people go, oh, that's so great. And I'm like, eh. it's just like very, it's not fulfilling. It's pretty deflating. I don't like it. Yeah. Did the process of, I mean, I imagine the years of practice and especially from a young age and then as you advanced, did that process like teach you any like do you look back and think I'm glad at least that I learned to do this skill because I took away this lesson or I mean I know it kind of came like mom's the one who made you do this but like were there any sort of silver linings that came out of it um if I have to name a couple of silver linings um I think it's that uh probably the the stamina or the you know the the endurance to do something long term um just knowing that I have the capacity inside of me because I'm I'm generally not that kind of a person at all I I definitely am (laughs) like you know silver uh shiny shiny object to the left and cool here's something more exciting over here so having the focus and the the endurance to do something long term is probably like my best takeaway from doing the violin but um i have a friend who uh, i have a friend who is a professional violinist that i grew up with and i always felt like inferior to him in skill and it just really felt so relieving to just let that go and be like, you are naturally skilled at this. 
And I, I think that's awesome. Go and, you know, I'm not going to try to keep up with you anymore because I, like I embrace that this is not who I am and it's not what I enjoy. So yeah. Um, so that is probably the other silver lining is just the acceptance of like, this is, you know, who my mom wanted me to be and not who I am. So, and being able to come to terms with that. That's a beautiful thing. I feel like I've encountered that myself from time to time where I've tried to be, I don't know if it was something I wasn't, or just, I've tried to become, you know, really good at something and maybe I didn't actually want to become really good at it. And then that moment you said of like, just kind of taking the weight off your shoulders and be like, I'm not going to become that good or that person. And I'm just no longer going to pursue it in that way. And all of a sudden you feel this relief of like, this Mm -hmm. is good. For me, it really relates to like, I think going back to kind of that self-reflection of like, you know, who you are and what are you good at? What fulfills you and that kind of thing. And oftentimes the things I'm pursuing are like not related to that. And it's like, you're walking uphill, like trying so hard to go after this thing that it turns out you don't even, were you to achieve it, you probably wouldn't even enjoy it anyway. But then once you say goodbye to it, it's just to your point, like that's such a beautiful thing to just feel that weight being lifted. Mm Hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm fortunate that I was able to release that, like, you know, in my early adulthood, yeah. But I I can definitely feel um, the pull occasionally or the guilt coming, you know, uh, once in a while I will see something come across, you know, my screen will be like, oh, coming to Ravinia, this exceptional violinist. And I'll be like, oh, that could have been me. Nope. I'm happy that I'm not doing that. That's I'm I'm glad that's not my life. So, yeah, it's just a good it's a good gut check. That's interesting, though, that you would even nowadays, like, because it sounds like you were pretty much like, this is not for me. But to even like see that and think for a moment, like, oh, I guess that could have been me. Like, yeah, split that, second. Yeah. Split second oh, thought and like, nope, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I'm trying to imagine an alternate reality where the Mari I met was actually a professional violinist who, I don't know. I don't know what professional violinists do. Do they work in orchestras then probably? that or solo or tour, you know, record. I guess now all they do is record. I don't really know. In the after times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, strangely enough, my friend who is the musician, he also ended up getting his MBA and working in tech for a while. Um, But he messaged me, you know, recently and just said, uh, if you know of any jobs, let me know because, you know, right now there are no performances. I'm not working. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's just tough, tough for all everybody in the arts. Well, it's tough for everybody all around, but yeah, for people in the performing arts, it's just, man, I feel for them. I think it's very rough for them. If yeah. There's no, no final day that we've, can look to and say this is the day we'll we'll bring you back yeah yeah so with blend rebels i i feel like we've kind of talked about why you've created it but i'm I'm kind of curious like what was it that finally brought you to this point of like all these conversations you've had and all these 
all the research you've done that you kind of came to this point of like, I want to put this all together in a way that I can now reach people who are out there and could benefit from this? Like what was, was it just something that over the years built up or was there some event and moment that caused you to be like now? Uh, so, you know, what's interesting is, um, oh, there goes my phone. Sorry. Classic ringtone. Yep. Um, so what is interesting is that obviously I had always been thinking, why isn't something like this out there? And, you know, you're a creator and, you know, if you're like me, if you're like any of the people that we know who are in this space, like between me and, you know, Ryan Evans, I think he was on this podcast and Andrew and Eric, and I have just these group of friends and between the six of us, we could probably put together, you know, 500 different ideas over the course of one round of drinks. And we would probably choose zero of them to actually put into action. Just having these conversations and these ideas is a fun game that we all are, you know, a part of, cause we just have no shortage of ideas. And, um, what I think really tipped me over for this particular one is that there's just such a gap in services that are provided for people in our situation. And just knowing that the market is so vast and has the potential to become so toxic so quickly that if there are any preventative measures that could be put into place that can really help either heal or prevent you know, the destruction of any sort of relationships that could be healthy for the kids. Um, so I think it was that the aha moment was, if I don't do this, I mean, I've, I've had this idea for probably four or five years, and I've just been watching to see, is anybody going to do something about this? And nobody is, because as you know, everybody has the ideas, but very few people execute on the ideas. So it was kind of one of these things where I was like, if I'm not going to do this, even if I'm not the expert, even if I'm not the um, doctorate level psychologist, it, it's better than what's out there now. And so it was kind of one of those aha moments where I just, I just need to start and maybe eventually there will be more content and more supplemental um, resources for this space. But right now the gap is just so big. Um, that really, if 20 people decided to start something like this, it still wouldn't be filled. So, yeah, I think that's why. I'm glad. I'm so glad you're doing it. Thank you for, thank you for taking the time to chat today. And, but thank you also for pursuing that. Like, I really, I hope you are able to make a dent in this, you know, and I mean, in like the conversation, right? Like to, to help start reshaping that narrative and make it a little bit more normal to, which by the way, the website you have, uh, I just love the feel of it. Like it feels very welcoming and warm, like, which okay. I feel like a lot of times, you know, this sort of topic is not usually welcoming and warm. It's like, again, the outsider. So thank you for starting off with a welcoming, warm feel to the whole idea. Oh, great. Well, I will certainly tap you for all of the, uh, market research that I can. Tim, you can give me all the feedback. Um, I'll be I'll be happy to take it. And 
Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is the first time I've actually had a conversation about this project with anybody. So thank you for, yeah, thank you for taking it on. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Before you go, I would love to know what you had for breakfast this morning. Just send me an email, tim at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com and let me know what you had for breakfast this morning. Thanks.